This is me realizing we will get through this movie. <laughs> Dive <laughs> right back in. We're almost there, Ben. We're, we're yeah, almost there. Almost. We really, we're almost there. Okay. <clears throat> oh, my God. My acid reflux has been so bad today. Anyway. Yeah, that was, right. that was me yesterday. Pizza and meatballs, a bad combination. I think I just ate too much bread today. <sighs> getting old fun right. stuff <laughs> shall we get back to it yeah let's just do the old bitchy man thing right now <laughs> I, the thing with the, I, my stomach and the acid it's coming out it's disgusting what is this I hate it. <laughs> what, what is, is this? this i don't even <laughs> i used to be able to eat all the locks i wanted to now i have one bite i'm joking my guts out like it you can keep it i try to go back to the way things were Anyway, back to the podcast. <laughs> Welcome to episode number nine of Central Intelligence Cinema. Today, Jason and I will be reviewing the Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase spy comedy, Spies Like Us. We hope it's a break from, well, everything. Take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC Initiating Security Clearance. My name is Napoleon Soto. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Leiter. Media Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Remember... Nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Yeah, the British ambassador. Do you expect me to talk? Yeah, baby! <laughs> Recorded from an Ace Tomato Company shipping container in an undisclosed location somewhere in Pakistan, <laughs> it's the CIC Podcast. I'm Jason, and with me, as always, is Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC. Buckle up, kids, because we're about to dive into a pretty bad movie. Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We knew it was going to be. We knew, we knew it was going to be. Yeah, we knew it was going to be kind it. of a train wreck. So spies like us, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to dive into spies like us. Oh, my <laughs> You know, I really, uh, man. Okay, just right off the top, I, I have to say this. I expected, I didn't expect it to be a good spy movie at all, which it wasn't. No. It held up on that end. It held up on that end. But what it didn't do was I expected it to be funnier. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. But, uh, I, I would have to I would have to say it wasn't funny at all. The only time I laughed was when Bob Hope showed up. And I think you laugh part. when Bob Hope shows up, period. That just you just matter. do. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's just well, and the <laughs> fact that yeah, he has one of the best lines in the whole thing. He's like, Well, I'm glad I'm not in here for you know, or whatever he says right there. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not ill. <laughs> oh, Doctor, doctor, doctor. <laughs> so should we get into this uh, this awful fucking movie? <laughs> this this entire shipping crate of not tomatoes, but shit. 
very rotten tomatoes. Not to very oh. rotten tomatoes. Very rotten but tomatoes. <laughs> Chevy Chase. Get us the hell out of here. Dan Aykroyd. To think my high school guidance counselor said I'd never amount to anything. Spies like us. Okay, Spies Like Us, <laughs> released in 1985, directed by John Landis, who somehow made the Kentucky Fried movie, Animal House, The Blues Brothers, An American Werewolf in London, and Trading Places, and somehow then he made this, this mm-hmm. steamy pile of... Mm. <laughs> you know, I... I bet you he looked at it and it's like on paper, it looks phenomenal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's no doubt in my mind that they, they had the easiest time selling this idea. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Imagine, imagine this, they're spies, but it's goofy and it's Dan Aykroyd and Chevy chase at the height mm-hmm. of their, of their comedic prowess. Of course right. it's, it's, what could go wrong? <laughs> Apparently, fucking everything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it really shocking. I mean, John Landis knows how to make movies. Well, right? he knows how to make music videos. He knows yeah, how to do he everything. Made, he made Thriller. He made the Thriller right. music video. I mean, what happened? Anyway, <laughs> let's just. Keep going. <laughs> Move along. Move Moving along. along. So as far as writing goes, uh, Dan Aykroyd and Dave Strangebrew Thomas uh, wrote a. this. A. <laughs> um, also credited are Lowell Gantz and Babalu Mandel, who I'm guessing are both punch-up writers. Um, they were, They both worked on Splash. I don't know too much more uh, about them. Yeah. They actually did a lot of writing in the 80s, also did a lot of stuff on TV. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I, I get the feeling they must have been sort of, at least on this movie, like punch-up writers, where they were just trying to somehow help it along, which <laughs> apparently there was not a whole lot to save this thing. But Yeah, I'm not, yeah. you yeah. know, I think the problem you have when you have two sketch comedy improv guys mm-hmm. trying to write a script, because I think to. they like to have, well, I think th- I think they, they wrote the idea, they made some set pieces, and I think they expected to go onto the set and just and just do it. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna Dan Aykroyd my way through this. Chevy's gonna Chevy his way through this, and we're right. gonna be fine. We'll give yeah. everybody else some stupid dialogue and we'll move along. And I think the problem was neither of them were able to Aykroyd or chase their way through it. Right. And I, I think, think that Chevy was more to blame on that than Dan Aykroyd was, but I'll get into that a little later, probably. Okay. That, yeah. Cause, cause I definitely think, see, for me, I, I, I actually kind of thought the opposite because I felt like, I felt like Chevy Chase had enough physical comedy that he was sort of making up as he went to sort of occasionally be funny. Whereas, Dan Aykroyd was stuck being the straight man in a lot of cases. And so he didn't really have anything to do except, except the dialogue that had been written for the most part. Right. But I mean, that, that worked for him in Ghostbusters just fine because Bill Murray, Bill right. Murray his way through that movie and he's Bill Murray. Yeah. I think, I think Chevy was still in the, uh, still trying to be the leading man guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And because I I don't remember this was before or after Fletch. I get the feeling this was, I get the feeling this was right at the cusp of the downfall of Chevy Chase when, when, when his ego kind of just starts to kind of take over and doesn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, for sure. And that's the thing. It's like he was caught between trying to be the, the handsome leading man and also trying to be the funny Chevy Chase. It says here Fletch came out the same year. So maybe he spent it all on Fletch. I mean, he could have spent all his energy on that and just sort of phoned in spies like us. I mean, I mean who paycheck knows? Paycheck to paycheck. But he did better acting in that uh, Paul Simon video than I think he did in this movie. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm putting the I'm putting this squarely on Chevy Chase's shoulders for how bad this movie turned out. I think oh. if you'd have put John Belushi in that role with Aykroyd, if you'd oh my put goodness. Bill Murray in that role with Aykroyd, anybody he had chemistry with, I yeah. think that this movie is ten times better. Yeah. Well, and Chevy Chase is notorious for being difficult. Mm. Notorious right. for being a difficult person to work with. So I'm yeah, sure that has so. a lot to do with it. So. Well, anyway, hey. moving on. <laughs> yeah, let's. Uh, in the numbers, uh, the budget for this movie was twenty-two million, and it made just over seventy-seven million worldwide. So they did make their money. Wouldn't call it a blockbuster for several reasons. Actually, <laughs> it was one of those things. Dollars. That's a pretty good haul. Yeah. Well, I mean, they knew that they were going to get their money out of it. You know. You, right. you make a trailer, and Dan Aykroyd and Chevy Chase are in it. Chances are you're going to make your money back no matter what it is, at least in 1985. So music, uh, Elmer Bernstein did it, and he has done a lot of good things, and yet it doesn't really matter so much. Uh, No, (laughs) although I would say, (laughs) this is what cracked me up when I was watching it, was that it sounded like a lot of Elmer Bernstein stuff from other Elmer Bernstein soundtracks. Oh, okay. I don't know. His leftovers, maybe? Yeah, I don't know how much that was original, but I know a lot of his stuff gets used in other movies because it's so very run-of-the-mill. Right. It just works in everything. Just Right. Oh, well, this works in an in a exciting, you know, action chase scene. Throw it here. Right. Yeah. Oh, here's a comedy womp-womp moment. This movie music's perfect for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, we've got... Uh, Paul McCartney farting out the theme song, which yeah. I have to, I have to admit, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say it. When I was a kid, I kind of liked the song, <laughs> but I think uh, I was just, I've... I think I was just too young. This is one of those movies, and I don't know if I should be promoting this yet or not. But, but uh, Jason and I are promoting a new podcast soon, or are, we're developing a new podcast very soon, and. Uh, it would this movie would fall right in line with our new podcast because uh, this movie when I was a kid or at least my memories of this movie when I watched it as a kid I really liked it and now I'm watching it now and I'm just like oh my god this is just one of Mm -hmm. those I was young it just seemed funny at the time and now I'm watching it as a 46 year old and oh my god this is horrible (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It says, the, the trivia says that this was uh, the final American solo top 10 hit for Paul McCartney in the United States of America. So what a crappy thing to go out on. Well, maybe that's um, why he believe... did. 
Maybe that's why it was his last. That <laughs> could be. They well, like, you know, they say solo. I'm like, did he join a band? <laughs> <laughs> You're telling me that he hasn't had a top 10 hits at Spies Like Us? Come on, that can't be right. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's garbage. It's, yeah, yeah, it's not a good song. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll get into the uh, Bond guys and Bond girls and all that sort of thing. We've got Chevy Chase, of course, as Emmett Fitzhume. Chevy Chase being Chevy Chase in the 80s, man. That's mm-hmm. all he is. Uh, like I said, I mean, I did like some of his physical comedy because at the time he was still, he still had a little bit of that in his back pocket that he could do. Right. But I do think you're right. I think chemistry-wise, he had some sort of issue, you know, working well with, the other Bond guy, so to speak, Dan Aykroyd as Austin Milbarge. And yeah, I think you're right. Because I mean, Dan Aykroyd did Dan Aykroyd, which is kind of play a straight role, kind of play the smarty mm-hmm. smart guy and being used as a foil against whoever the, the more goofy character is. One of, the, one of these days, uh, <clears throat> speaking of the uh, of the other podcasts <clears throat> we're developing, we'll have to watch Dr. Detroit where he's the star of the show. Ah. And it's a completely it's a completely different ball game, man. When he gets to just be himself, yeah, without just, without having to play second fiddle, he really shines. Yeah, so maybe that was it too. Maybe he was trying to get out of the way too often of Chevy in this instead sure. of instead of you know sort of taking the wheel sometimes or whatever the case is. That's, it's 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 rough. This movie's rough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and it also makes me think, you know. He held his own against Eddie Murphy in trading places the year before this. Yeah, that pretty much. And, Eddie it all. Murphy, right? Eddie friggin' Murphy, yeah, yeah. And you're like, that's Dan Aykroyd. Eddie Murphy is acting with Dan Aykroyd, not Dan Aykroyd's acting with Eddie Murphy. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting off the soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the Bond girls. We've got uh, Heidi Sorensen who plays Fitzhumes plays Fitzhume's supervisor who is has a career <laughs> that pretty much only is it is limited to uh, <laughs> a very specific type of character usually one that shows off boob <laughs> so uh, and then we've got uh, Karen Boyer played by Donna Dixon who also happens to be Dan Aykroyd's wife which uh yes she is well done danny good job that's all <laughs> i def- gotta say we definitely we definitely have a billy joel christy brinkley thing going on there oh yeah 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 but, you know some uh, chicks stick the rocker some chicks stick the guys that can make you laugh you know what that's I'm right and then we've got uh the uh brunette russian rocket crew member you know they didn't even give her a name they didn't. There's no name in IMDb for her. She's just the hot brunette Russian rocket crew member who is played mm-hmm. by Vanessa Angel, and she is mm-hmm. gorgeous. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. I did like yeah. uh, she must have gotten that uh, that decadent capitalist underwear from uh, somebody <laughs> at the uh, American consulate or something because <laughs> it seemed very, very silky satiny for being out in the snow with the missile launcher and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, not exactly practical. Maybe she just. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a massive list of cameos, which include Frank Oz, Bernie Casey, Terry Gilliam, Ray Harryhausen, Bob Hope, Joel and Larry Cohen, BB King, Sam Raimi, and Edwin Newman. 
Tell me if I've missed any. Have I missed any? I think you've got just about everybody. I will tell everyone, try and guess which one Frank Oz is. I love to say that to everybody when he's in a movie. <laughs> All right. Should we get into this in, in earnest? Can we get this into this so we can get done with it as quickly as possible? <laughs> Absolutely. So... <laughs> the pre-title sequence it starts in a snowy forest and all these deer scatter as this giant truck comes in with a big plow on the front and is taking down these trees and carrying what appears to be a big old nuclear missile through the forest like you do <laughs> and then you you see a uh, russian soldier walking alongside it you see the patch on his jacket so obviously they're somewhere in russia probably siberia uh, then it cuts to these satellites in space and this part actually did make me chuckle just a little bit because it zooms yes. in because <laughs> it zooms in on one from the US, which it says <laughs> in print, just as the as the door is opening, it says of no military value. Military value, yeah. <laughs> just just so that in case anybody was wondering. <laughs> yeah, so that, that door slides open and we you see a uh, apparently a very powerful telescopic lens which is uh taking a picture of said truck and missile and then you see a printout of the picture and the picture goes into a briefcase which is then handcuffed to an agent who walks out of an ace tomato company building <laughs> and, yes and that guy gets into an ace tomato company van that drives off and we get the credits <laughs> yeah so <laughs> So that's what we know from from the pre-title. We get into super like just boring credits, just like really bare bones. Put the title up on the thing and on the Chiron, and you know, get that out of the way. It's just <laughs> going over shots of the van making its way through and passing by the Capitol. Yay! Mm -hmm. uh, and it it kind of it's very TV like actually. Um, no, no doubt. And before you know, before we get into the first act of the movie, I want to say right up front, I really had no idea what this movie was about until the very end of the movie. I feel certain that they established it in somewhere in one of the scenes, but I'm like, what does the missile have to do with anything? And it wasn't <laughs> until they started making gigantic space lasers oh, that yeah. I finally figured it out. Yeah, you don't you don't find it out. Until the, until the very, very end. The only thing that you find out, like you find out everything else really, really quickly though. It's just what that, what that missile has to do with anything. That's what's so funny about this movie is that they established this in the pre-title, this missile thing. Like that's a big, important thing. Mm -hmm. But honestly, the most important part of this movie is the fact that these two schmoes get picked as decoys to you know, attract attention away from the actual agents who are supposed to do something that has to do with the missile. But we don't know what that right. thing is with the missile. But but it almost seems like the missile, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I totally get it. it. It just, I kept going, what is the point of this? Yeah. There has to be an end game and literally did not know the end game until the end game. Yeah, you, you don't find out anything. I mean, maybe credit do i guess <laughs> anyway. i have ex i have expected gene hackman and ned Beatty to jump on the back of the truck and rewire the missiles so christopher reeve had to go fly and stop the one in hackensack new jersey <laughs> might have been a better movie anyway um 
So, so after the credits go by, the courier for the photo then arrives at what appears to be some kind of safe house. And that's when we're introduced to Mr. Ruby and Mr. Keys. And they do the little gag where the courier has to go in the closet while they look at the photo, which is weird. Yeah. It's such a weird, they lock him. I don't, is he locked in? I don't remember. Anyway, he just, he can't look at the photo, but he's attached to the briefcase, but he can't take the right. briefcase off his wrist. So he's locked in the closet while they look at this photo. I did think it was really funny that they called that they said that the photos were great quality, you know, 1985 mm -hmm. technology. That was fun. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then big old General Slime comes in to look at the photo. Steve Forrest. He's he's a fun character in this movie, though. He's he's yeah. just that like warmongering, just you know been in the military uh, since he was 17 and he's worked his way up and to be super fucking important <laughs> totally see that guy that guy will for eternally be for me the captain from the original swat tv show oh okay i never saw that actually it, but every time i see him man all i hear is <laughs> so um yeah so the, he comes in and so then they set up that uh to go after this missile they're looking at the at the picture and they say to go after this missile they're going to get four glg 20 agents two who are actually good and two decoys right. naturally uh chase and Aykroyd are the decoys and that's basically almost the entire plot aside from mm -hmm. what's what the missile is what's going on with that missile we now know 95 percent of the plot of this movie so anyway, we uh, from there we cut to the Department of State where Chevy Chase works, and he's watching on a TV with headphones. Gene Nelson, Virginia Mayo, and Ronald Reagan singing "I'll Be Loving You" from the musical "She's Working Her Way Through College." <laughs> <laughs> I had to look all that up, like what that musical was, and I mean I knew it was Ronald Reagan, but I didn't know the other two characters. I had to. I was sure. like, I was like, okay. I guess, you know, maybe if I was older in 1985, that would have been funnier to me. But, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, assume, play, I mean granted, playing on the whole Reagan fact, thing being an yeah, actor. Yeah. Reagan's an actor. He was president at the time. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, so his co worker is on him about studying for the Foreign Service, service Board exam, which he's taking the next day. And Chevy, of course, acts like he knows everything, doing the Chevy Chase thing. And then mentions uh, he's got a way past the test anyway, since he's meeting with a supervisor supervisor for lunch in lunch, air quotes yeah. <laughs> lunch, which of course then cuts to him in bed post post coitus with his supervisor. Um, we get the funny little quip where she's like, "You're not trying to tell me you're dying, are you?" And he's like, "Well, not anymore. No, <laughs> like he was gonna." <laughs> That Why is a... it funnier when you say it? <laughs> yeah, again, phoning it in, probably. Um, mm -hmm. So from so from here, we cut to the Pentagon, where we see uh, Ackroyd's douchebag supervisor, Captain Heffling. He's uh, making his way down to the underbelly of the Pentagon, where Ackroyd, aka Milbarge, is teaching himself Russian. I'm sort of setting up 
almost immediately that he's the smart one. Um, <laughs> and Heffling tries to kind of bust his balls about his responsibilities, despite the fact that he's taking care of everything. And a lot of this is just to basically explain that Milbarge is a genius of sorts. Um, Heffling mm-hmm. tells Milbarge that he has to, and then that's when Heffling sort of surprises Milbarge, saying that he has to take the Foreign Service Board exam the next day. And of course, Milbarge is pissed because he hasn't been made aware of this. And he calls out Heffling for sabotaging his chances on purpose. So he's stuck down in this pit doing Heffling's work uh, instead of advancing. So then Milbarge goes home to study and we cut to Fitzhume uh, doing his job as some kind of press secretary. And it's basically just a bit showing he doesn't do his job very well. And he does this little hacky bit where he makes it sound like the microphone is cutting out. So he doesn't actually have to answer any questions, which, which does which sort of work. It's a classic Chevy Chase thing. And it's funny. Yeah. Uh, he, he did that on SNL, I think, once or twice. Yeah. I mean, it is hacky, but it is it is funny when he does it. So because yeah, he does it so earnestly that it, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like a little bit of smoke and mirrors. It's hilarious. Well, and it's also kind of funny too. It it in a weird sort of way, it was almost brought back current by the the current situation that we're all in with Zoom meetings and shit like that, where uh-huh. people like <laughs> like <laughs> there was that South Park episode. Did you see that where where Cartman was on a, a a classroom Zoom thing, and he acted like he was freezing up, and then he took a picture of himself and put it in front of the camera on his like in front of the computer cameras and then he walked away from the computer and just left a freeze frame of his (laughs) of his face in front of the cameras so it looked like he was still listening (laughs) so believe it or not my wife has had that happen while teaching online with her students so they probably figured it out from from that (laughs) there you go so yeah after that i mean really the almost this entire movie is just a series of comedy bits um, that mm-hmm. they string together to hit, you know, 10 second plot points. Um, the first of which is them taking the foreign service board exam where <laughs> a lot of Chevy Chase physical comedy takes place with props and a, you know, fake arm and <laughs> all this. So he basically, uh, he attempts in every way possible to cheat on the exam. <laughs> Some of the gags work. A lot of them don't. Like the thing where he's no. like spitting the paper out. I'm just like, mm-hmm. really? Well, on top of it too, because he was talking the whole time, but prior to that. So like right. a lot of it just didn't work for me at all. No. It, it was too hacky and it took too long. Yes, that was the other thing. It was like an SNL skit that you were like, God, when are they just going to cut out of this? <laughs> right. Cut to commercial, cut to commercial. Yeah. The only part of it that I really found even remotely funny was at the very end when he's literally on the floor, just copying the answers. Like he had given up on even trying to be sly about it. He's just on the floor with the girls, <laughs> with the girls test and he's just copying the answers. Mm-hmm. So, so then we cut to the, uh, the misters and general Sline looking at Fitzhuman mill barges, uh, bios, not really caring since they're decoys anyway. So then, of course, Fitzhume and Milbarge are ludicrously fast-tracked through the GLG-20 training. Um, Bernie Casey. <clears throat> yeah, and that's that's when we get Bernie Casey here. They're, they're parachuted out of a plane into the forest and met by ninjas because it's 1985, Wait. so 
every movie from 1985 that was had any action in it had ninjas in it. So not just any ninjas, United States Army ninjas. Yeah, white boy ninjas. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's when we. Uh, oh, I do. I do like when they're surrounded by the ninjas and Chevy Chase pulls out the picture and he goes. This is my sister. You can all have her. I hear she's very good. <laughs> like that did make me laugh, even though it's really bad taste. I still thought it was hilarious. So anyway, so then we get Colonel Rumbus calls off the ninjas and and he fights half of them and and they're asking him why did he send the ninjas on them? And he was just trying to figure out uh, what kind of men he was dealing with to train and where they were starting with so <laughs> basically what did he say what did he say in that moment he was like so what'd you think he's like pussies or something like that i forget what they yeah i think that was right he just basically called them pussies sent them on their way <laughs> yeah we get some silly basic training scenes um i did like the one where the boat yanks them off the dock when they're just when they got rope around their wrists or whatever and they're thump, 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 <laughs> yeah and they're just skipping across the water that part was kind of funny a lot of it was very just you know i and and, and again this is 1985 so maybe back then it seemed a little bit more original but at this point in my life going back and watching this movie i'm just like Oh boy, this is just all uh, like same run of the mill shit that you've ever seen. You know, I did think that the G Force training <laughs> was kind of funny, partially because of the Moonraker connection, um, but I also I just I I thought the gag was funny when they came out and their faces were still all like, uh-huh. <laughs> in the goofy and the face, hair. yeah. <laughs> and <they're>, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gotta go get something to eat? Yeah, let's head to the commissary. Let's get some coffee. Ah. <laughs> and then uh, after a failed attempt to quit the training, uh, finding out basically they're an involuntary part of this now, um, they're given a, their assignment and sent on their way to Pakistan, which is where we sort of roll into act two of this movie. Roll is right. Uh, so, <laughs> so we see uh, uh, an Ace Tomato uh, shipping container dropping out of the back of an airplane. It's parachuted down and lands just outside what we're told is a Pakistani village. You know, it, it lands on a chicken pen because that's funny. Squash chickens are always funny. Oh, yeah. Why is it any different? Yeah. Killing chickens. Sure. I, you know, I love I love the whole thing with the ace tomato thing with the running gag with it as being a yeah. cover front for for uh, the CIA. But it feels overplayed a little on this one. I mean, come on. Tomatoes. Yeah. Well, I mean, why would you have something so obvious in Pakistan? But. I get the yeah. gag. I mean, why not have it? Why not have it in Pakistani? Uh, I don't know. Hey, there you go. See, at least that would right? make a little Same bit logo. more sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it hits the ground, squashes the chickens, cargo door breaks open, <laughs> Fitzhume and Milbards are inside, drinking Budweiser and eating tortilla t- chips, Which- as you do. As you, wait, see, that was another thing. I was like, that's okay. I get the Budweiser thing because that's. You don't get much more American beer than Budweiser. 
but the the tortilla chips sort of like i was like okay sure <laughs> obviously some sort of product placement there maybe yeah. Budweiser was running some sort of the <laughs> theme that year yeah. I, I don't know who knows um but uh they, they they're inside there and a bunch of locals from the village that they crashed outside have come over and all of them are armed chevy then tells uh, the locals in pakistani uh using i believe he was using a phrase book or something yeah uh, for english yeah. to pakistani translation <laughs> Uh, he basically says, uh, if you let me go free, you may keep my friend's head for polo. And then, of course, all of the Pakistanis <laughs> laugh and laugh and laugh, start grabbing an Ackroyd's head and shake it around. And Chubby's like, oh, that's their way of greeting each other. <laughs> I'm a sucker for translative comedy like that. <laughs> for some right. reason, it, it just works for me. Chubby Chase had his moments in this movie. They were just very yeah. few and far between. Yeah. So... Uh, just as all this is going on, these two blonde-haired gentlemen show up uh, and identify themselves as their CIA contacts. Uh, yeah. They walk through the crowd, lead them off to their Jeep. It was a weird. It was so weird. The two people that they picked from it. Yeah, I mean, the they look like yeah. The, the one I mean, guy was from Animal House. Oh, okay. Played, yeah, he was the one that played um, the jock that terrorized them with the blonde <laughs> girlfriend. Okay. And the other guy was in some something in the 80s on tv mm -hmm. i can't remember what it was but i mean they couldn't have picked two people who more obviously look like bad guys if they put eye patches Ye and yeah. goatees on them yeah <laughs> it was it was pretty obvious i mean it, well everything in this movie is <laughs> really obvious so it's true the, the only surprise is the reason for the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think the only reason why the end of the movie is a surprise is because it's so sewed on to the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was like, they didn't know what the end when they were writing it, they didn't know what the end of this movie was or why they had to no, stop this missile until, until they were just like, well, shit, let's just make it about the star Wars project. <laughs> right. Right. Or, or maybe it was, maybe there was an original ending to this movie when he wrote it. And they changed it to make it more topical. Oh, because, um, yeah. Because I was looking at the, uh, was looking at the trivia a little while ago, and it said that he originally wrote this for himself and Belushi before Belushi died. So that means that the script was at least two years old for yeah. when Belushi passed away. Um, yeah. So maybe he decided uh, that's the big woofy wowser thing. Maybe that's what you know selling the special effects got the movie people. I don't know. But yeah. I, I feel like there was another ending for this movie. <laughs> that didn't happen and maybe should have happened indeed <laughs> uh so they end up going into the jeep um while they're in the jeep uh fitzhume asks for the time and when millibard sees the watch is russian he then asks if uh, he can stop to take a leak because millibarge is the obvious smarter one of this group over here yeah. uh, and uh, we get over there uh, we get another bit where Fitzhume is just completely clueless to the fact that Millbarge wants him to play along and get out of the Jeep so they can escape. Right. Don't you need to go pee <laughs> as well? No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I really think you should stop and pee at this point. <laughs> that also got kind of old real quick. Yeah. Um, but once they get out of the Jeep, um, they start walking away and Millbarge explains that the two guys are KGB, uh, which is right when the two KGB suddenly end up in front of them yeah they look up and suddenly they're right in front of them like i feel like that was a gag that happened a lot in the 80s where 
people were, they turn a corner and the person that was behind them is suddenly in front of them again. Like that happens a lot in like movies from the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but usually, usually you have to be a vampire for that to happen. Indeed. Weak. Weak. That joke will make uh, sense if you listen to the very first episode of our new podcast coming soon. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, Bill Burge gives some uh, silly little Russian saying to distract them before they stop or both stop on their feet, which, you know, always works outside yeah. of an Abbott and Costello movie. <laughs> right? uh, That's enough to, the, to just stop them dead in their tracks. KGB agents. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, our two protagonists uh, jump into the Jeep and drive off. Hey, so while we're at a stopping point, I just wanted to mention, we would love to hear from viewers of the podcast, whether it's a movie review idea or you just want to say hi, please feel free to email us at CICDeadDrop at gmail.com. That's all one word, CICDeadDrop at gmail.com. Also, if you do enjoy the podcast, we'd be most appreciative if you took a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes. That way, the podcast shows up higher on searches so we can build the CIC bigger and better. All right, let's get back to it. So as they're driving, uh, they realize that they kind of need to get somewhere else and fast so that the KGB agents can't find them. So they decide they're just going to drive until they run out of gas or get where they're going, and they're going to sleep in shifts until they get there. Um, and of course this prompts the little, uh, daddy night. Mm-hmm. Night. Uh, sleep sleep night. tight. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't let the bed bugs, bite. The bugs <laughs> bite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and again, it's kind of a Chevy chasey thing, mm-hmm. but it goes on about 15 to 20 seconds too long. It stops being funny after the third attempt. Yeah. That's a running theme in this movie though. All of the, all of the little, yeah. all of the little bits, they're all like SNL skits that, that go on a little bit too long. Right. And you're just like, oh, okay. yeah. You're like, all right. It's, it's, <laughs> we're going to have to wait it out real long before this gets funny again. <laughs> and see. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you could do comedy that way. That's what Andy Kaufman used to do. He <laughs> yeah. would take people down that path to the point where they didn't get it, but then he got it to the point where they start laughing because they didn't get it. Right. <laughs> but Andy Kaufman wasn't in this movie, and so it doesn't work. Uh, yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> um, so they get through this stupid little bit. Uh, they keep driving, and eventually, uh, they come across a man carrying on horseback, carrying a machine gun. Uh, Fitzhugh stops and asks if there's an airport nearby, and of course, the guy calls his entire army out from behind the ridge to come down and surround him. Chase, of course, has to wake up Ackroyd because it's his turn to drive. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ackroyd identifies the soldiers as being Afghani freedom fighters. We're supposed to be their allies. Now, this yes. part is funny. <laughs> well, it's funny, but from a historical standpoint, it's important to remember that at some point in time, they kind of liked us more than they liked the people they liked less, which, uh, uh, you know, in this day and age, <laughs> isn't quite the same thing. Yeah. But uh, it is kind of funny that uh, they, they immediately. No, we're not your friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And after telling them they're Americans, they string them upside down by a rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just as one of the warriors is about to shank uh, Milburn, uh, a British doctor comes out of nowhere who I swear to God, I thought was the guy who played Renee Belloc 
from <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark at first. I'm like, I don't remember him being in this movie. Uh, and then no I'm French like, oh, that's, yeah, that's because he wasn't in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but it maybe it would have been cooler if he had been. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Would uh, it, here, if if I would have seen Belloc, I, w- I would have, you know, like started paying better attention probably. A little more attention, right? Yeah. Uh, but he comes barging <laughs> out of the middle of the hut, sees what's going on, and uh, runs down to stop the soldier from stabbing him. Um, and we come to find out that this guy's from the London College of Medicine. And he has, of course, misidentified our two heroes as being doctors Trowbridge and Greenbaum, who are part of the United Nations health effort, more or less a <laughs> Doctors Without Borders thing, thus saving them and giving them a cover uh, excuse to uh, drive the movie forward. Yes. That's really all anything does in here. It's just <laughs> moving forward. Forward, yeah. So Fitzhugh and Milburn, they're led into a medical tent where they are introduced to all of the other doctors there. I know I've been bagging on how things are drawn out in this particular thing. This one this works. Is the, this is the funniest scene in the movie. It probably is. It's the is. only one I remember <laughs> other than Bob Hope. Yeah. And I swear to God, not a day goes by when if I'm shaking hands with people in a meeting or something like that, in my head, I'm like, doctor, 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 doctor. These are our newly arrived surgeons, Doctors Trowbridge and Greenbaum. Doctor? 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 Exactly. One of my, in my my other life, I had a meeting where one of the people on the other end actually said it. Oh, and he he got the reference. Right, and... <laughs> right. Well, he said it, and then he said, doctor, and I went, doctor, and then he shook my boss's hand, and my boss got it. My boss was like, <laughs> doctor, doctor, and it just went across the room. Everybody, <clears throat> it, it must have been something they just did at right. this particular place. Uh, and it was hilarious. It's too bad they had to tell him we were so we had to tell them we weren't going to be using them anymore after that meeting, but uh, oh. good times. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Anyway, so the doctor-doctor thing goes on, and it goes on for a very long time, but I really don't mind it that much. Yeah, no, that one works. I mean, especially to the fact that right after all the introductions, then they all leave and they do it all over again. All over again, right. (laughs) It it had enough of a pause that you could run it the second time and have it still be funny. Right. <laughs> and, and of course, uh, it's a smorgasbord of famous people that are in that. Uh, yeah. That right that's, that's where... um, we got Terry Gilliam with a bad German accent. Uh, <laughs> we, got, we got Ray Harryhausen moving much better than anything he ever put on film. Um, and then of course, we've got Donna Dixon in there. There's even a couple of other English actors who I've seen in a ton of other things from the 70s and the 80s. Right. Um, but uh, Donna Dixon is playing Karen Boyer, who is a, a doctor with all of these other people. She's also married to Dan Aykroyd, which means that everything that proceeds after that fact with Chevy Chase in that scene is very cringy and disgusting. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a little weird. Like it's that's got to be weird. A weird situation when you're literally watching your wife or yeah, because they were married. I think at the time, even and they were married. Yeah, to watch your wife. You know, kissing Chevy, felt Chevy. Up by Chevy Chase. Getting, yeah, just cheaply felt up, like in a really cringy, gropy, not cool sort of way. 
<laughs> Part of me just kind of hopes that Akron's like, that's as close as you're going to get, buddy. It doesn't matter how good looking you are. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so after the whole doctor-doctor exchange, all the doctors go out. Uh, Fitzhume finds a way to be alone with Karen. And as she's asking him to perform an acmedectomy on a patient in the camp, uh, using it to kind of stroke his ego, saying, you know, that he's a brilliant uh, physician and uh, right. the other physicians would really like for him to perform the surgery so they could see such a master at work. He says, you know, I can't, I've got nerve damage in the hand and can't do anything. And then the nerve damage hand just jumps right to her boob. Yeah. Right <laughs> to the boob. Right, 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 right to the, the boob. boob. So anyway, it's <laughs> uh, Hume agrees to instruct Dr. Greenbaum on the surgery and have him be his set of hands. So uh, uh, Chevy gets a kiss in with uh, Donna and then Ackroyd comes in and sort of breaks it up. And it just, the creepiness, it's not ending. I don't know why this is such a problem for me. I have watched <laughs> movies with married couples where they've had romantic scenes with other partners. Right. And it hasn't been cringy like this one is. But I for just, some reason, I don't yeah. understand. I think it's because it's Chevy Chase, honestly. Yeah, I think so. There's something about so. Chevy Chase that makes it feel almost more sinister. Yeah, I don't not, know. Not clean. <laughs> Dirty. Yeah. It's yeah. And I don't mean dirty in like a porn kind of way. I just mean dirty in a, in a not yuck clean way. way. Yeah, yeah not exactly. good way. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Karen leaves and he's like, You are good with your hands, right? And then Bob Hope, Paul, <laughs> Bob Hope. And then Bob Hope. Just out yeah, of nowhere. Bob, and Bob. then Bob Hope. You're good with tools, aren't you? Devices, instruments. What? Are you kidding? You're talking to Millbarge here. You want something converted, built, dismantled, repaired, modified? You're talking to Mr. Hands. Ah. Oh, mind if I play through? Doctor? Doctor? <laughs> Glad I'm not sick. Hey, kids. Bob Hope. <laughs> Glad I'm not sick. And then off he goes. <laughs> And, you know, this is clearly kind of a uh, it's kind of a homage to the road movies that Bob Hope did with Bing Crosby yes. back in the 30s and the 40s. Yeah, all which the USOC I think, stuff that he did. And, oh yeah, but yeah. I mean, the, I think they <clears throat> I remember something from an interview with Ackroyd on this, where he basically said that was a huge impetus for this was oh, okay. to kind of do a road movie type of thing. Okay. And can you imagine if this movie had been more successful? That maybe they did more things like this, but like the road movies were never the same characters. It was just the same two actors going to a destination oh, and okay. hilarity ensued. Right. So you had like, you know, road to Bali and road to Morocco and all these exotic <laughs> places that right. they just fumbled their way through into there. So if this had been more of a success, maybe we would have seen more movies like that with Ackroyd and Chase. Thankfully, it was not a success like that, so we didn't have to be put through it again. <laughs> yeah, I got slammed is. by critics, too. I, I I did happen to read some critical review of this movie that was just said there's no, there's not a single laugh in this movie. It's just, mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was the Ishtar of its generation. <laughs> Look it up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we move on. But with we a lower budget. <laughs> But with a much lower budget, absolutely. Well, and less quality actors. Let's be let's be real here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so so we get to the silly SNL skit with them trying to pull off the surgery, and so you basically have Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd performing a surgery together as more or less one person. 
Right. And with all the bumbling and going around, because either of them actually knows what they're going to do. There's the part where, uh, you know, the, the scalpel is kind of going down <laughs> the body without cutting the body. And you see them glance over at the real doctor. One of the real doctors, the older guys look at him and he's like, no. Yeah, he's head. shaking his head. And no. then he's moving up. No. How about I get you? over there. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so ridiculous. And then just before they're getting ready to make the incision, the patient gets up, gasps, and falls back dead before they could do anything. And I probably should have pointed this out before, but this is like the head tribesman or something like that. Right. And the fact that they don't save this guy's <laughs> life immediately turns all of the Afghani soldiers against them. Because right. they allowed him to die. <laughs> uh, so at this point, realizing the severity of where they're at, um, <laughs> our two heroes make their way out of the tent and essentially run for it as the entire tribe, which is pissed off at them, uh, follows along. Uh, they manage to steal an ambulance and are chased by soldiers on horseback. And then after a couple of close calls, they finally lose everybody. <laughs> and at this point, we, we cut back to our CIA guys, Mr. Ruby and Mr. Keys who are for, at least at this point in time, no apparent reason driving into an old, dilapidated drive-in movie complex that actually has security gates on it and armed guards. The two armed guards in the guard shack are none other than Sam Raimi and Joel Cohen, who (laughs) probably nobody knew at that point in time were anybody, but Landis has a thing about putting directors in his movies. Oh, is that a thing? Um, That's like an ongoing... Sure. I didn't Um, realize that. uh, I, like uh, in Blues Brothers, Steven Spielberg is the guy at the county assessor's office. Oh, geez. It's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it, it's a thing for him. Um, <laughs> but the guards tell Mr. Ruby that the drive is closed. And Ruby tells him, we're with the Ace Tomato Company. <laughs> and I love how they, they tried to make that sound so, like, you know, like important and cool. and. Yeah. What is it? Universe. We're with Universal Exports. That's yeah, it's, basically it's, what they're trying to say. Yeah, it's a far cry from Universal Exports. <laughs> oh, very, very far cry. <laughs> uh, so they're let inside the facility and they're greeted by more security guards, one of whom is BB Mother Effin King. I know. It's just, what? <laughs> Why is he in that movie? <laughs> I think this was, didn't he make the rounds though in... in- I feel like during that era, he made several cameos in a bunch of different movies. He, yeah, you know, he he was he had a renaissance back in the mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it might have just been the kind of the it thing or something like that. Although, hold on, the Wayback Machine is functioning in my brain now. <laughs> I think he was doing some sort of promotional thing with Pepsi at the time. Oh, that would make perfect sense. Because then because what's the next thing? What's the next thing that happens? Head, it, head into the building and have a Pepsi. He have says. yourself a Pepsi. <laughs> That's right. And so uh, they go into the building. Uh, they find it. Well, what's funny is they walk past a Pepsi vending, vending machine. Vending machine, which yeah. Which they didn't even bother to try it. Well, I noticed that too, because I'm watching that and I'm like, wait, they, they just passed it. Like they went to the less obvious one. <laughs> like, right. in, a like dilap- in, a, in a dilapidated movie theater, let's go to the fountain machine that probably doesn't work. Yeah, they go yeah, that- over there. They they hit the they hit the springer on the back for the the soft drink machine, and some guardrails pop up around them. And in a very get smart fashion, 
Yeah. They jump into a high-speed elevator. Oh, my gosh. That was so bad. So bad. Yeah, I mean, they might as well, not not to not that I should even be pointing out things that would kill them in a comedy, but this would kill them that was going so fast. Well, or at the very least, they should have their faces all done up and their hair back like uh, Aykroyd and Chase earlier in the movie. Yeah, at least you could have had a callback. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they get to the bottom of the elevator and General Sline and the other general are waiting for them down at the, the bottom and we see it's all kind of satellites imagery, sort of a NASA thing going on there. It's clearly yeah. like a military bunker of some sort. Well, here's a question for you. Did you ever figure out what the uh, abbreviation meant for WAP? Because they said, welcome to WAP. It's like W-A-P, I think. But I never found out what it was act- what it actually stood for. Um, I thought it might have been in the uh, trivia, but there's a lot of trivia here and none of it's very interesting. So it is in fact trivial. Um, <laughs> I think they said it in the movie because I was, it reminded me of Whopper from war yeah. games. Oh so I'm yeah. Like, is it, you remember? Yeah. And I, yeah. So I'm wondering if it was the same similar acronym or something like that, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, weapons, offensive platform, you know, we, so- only paid money for lasers. <laughs> um, it could just like, be uh, them picking on Italian people. <laughs> I don't know. I felt like that was a missed opportunity. Like they should have had some silly abbreviation for it. it well, been... uh, even in war games, they went ahead and explained what it meant. Right. You had the little <laughs> the nebbish computer guy telling you, well, it's Whopper. It stands for <laughs> war something, 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 something. <laughs> maybe there was a scene where they explained it and they just cut it out for time because you know this movie ran so long <laughs> maybe it just felt like it ran long indeed but anyway so they're in this uh this bunkery missile rockety kind of looking place and they're kind of discussing where the situation is with things what's happening and uh so <laughs> ruby gets a call oh my god Dude, honestly, this might be the fa- the funniest part of the movie for me personally. Like, I cannot get over this. <laughs> it's a uh, it's basically uh, Milburn is calling from a public payphone in Pakistan, the the CIA, to tell them that they're in location and giving them all the information that uh, you basically would need to know to find them. Yeah, over an open line. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the funnier bit is that Keys is like, they told us to you over a public telephone? And the soldier replies back to him, no, sir, the AT&T operator told, <laughs> told our, our operator. operator. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was literally probably the funny, for me, the, the funniest part of the entire movie, which is saying right, something right. that this was <laughs> what did it. it. In a better movie, that thing would have been twice as hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of just being a shiny turd in a toilet full of not shiny turds. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the generals and the misters decide to keep uh, Fitzhume and Milburn out there even longer to continue to draw attention away from the real GLG-20's missions. So they're told to cross the Soviet Pamir district and wait for the contact on the road to Dushanbe which we then are told is probably the most dangerous place for them to be 
right. for what they are doing. Um, <laughs> clearly don't care whether the two of them die or not at this point. Anything, they're probably trying to get them to die. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because at this point, all they're going to do is continue to screw the mission up. But it's their own fault for putting them in there. Just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> so a quick history lesson for all of the, the youngins out there. Uh, uh, Pamir is no longer part of Russia. Uh, back when Russia was part of the Soviet Union, it was much bigger than it is now. Indeed. And when it stopped being the Soviet Union, little pieces were like, we don't want to be part of you anymore, Russia. Imagine we that. We want to be our own thing again. Imagine who, that, right? Who could who could have thunk that? <laughs> so now it's Tajikistan. Indeed. All those wonderful stands at the bottom of Russia. All the stands. I just want to say Russia. All the stands. Kazakhstan. Tajikistan, yeah. Stan the Man, <laughs> South Park Stan. <laughs> I think it's funny that uh, it used to be back in the 80s when they would make up a fake place that sounded vaguely Russian or Slavic in some way. Right. You know, they put a, a, a Sinky or a Yev or something on the end of things like that. Right. Nowadays, when we're picking up fake things, everything's got yep. a stand at the end. Just it, add right? a stand to the end. <laughs> right. In fact, if we ever do a movie script where we have to go somewhere in the Middle East, we should just call it Add a Stand. That's the name of the company <laughs> or the country. Yeah, exactly. Just anything Eastern European, Add a Stand. We're going to we have to go into Add a Stand. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. The other general is a little irritated at Ruby for telling them to go to the road to Dushabe because it is practically the strike zone. But Ruby insists that they're going to get picked off well before that because it's so dangerous to get there. So after getting their orders, Milbarge figures the best way to get across the border is to sell the ambulance they stole, ditch the American clothes, and go native. Uh, so from there, <laughs> they hop on a bus and head to the Pamir border. And of course, you get that classic third world country bus transit thing going yeah, on yeah i mean you've seen it in everything from uh uh romancing the stone to uh mm-hmm. I, i'm sure there's there's a million other ones that was the first one that comes to my mind <laughs> right the two white people in a bus full of brown people it's right. basically what that joke is um oh the 80s but, uh, <laughs> uh, the, the 80s as they're so as they're on the bus, uh, they actually notice uh, Karen and uh, the doctor that saved them from the being hung up and stabbed on a jeep passing them. Eventually, they wind up at a toll road, and uh, Karen is there. Chevy heads over to flirt some more because you know why wouldn't he? Yeah. <laughs> um, she, but she tells him not to touch her. And then she takes off on horseback. Fitzhugh finds Mill Barge, who's been uh, entertained by a marionette show. He's just sitting there all doofy, <laughs> looking at puppets. I know he's just like, so <laughs> <I'm> like <laughs> it's so weird. It's such a weird little. I understand it's what the they were trying thing. to like. They're trying to paint him in a certain light, but it's just like it's in a better movie. It might have worked, but in this movie, it's just sort of like well, okay. <laughs> again, it did in Ghostbusters. It worked better. Ray Stance right. is the same character as Milburn. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. He's the guy with the knowledge, but he's got that childlike sense of wonder. I mean, you watch it going, I, I tried to think of the, the most innocent thing from my childhood, uh, <laughs> something that could possibly help hurt all, any of us. Who did you think of, Ray? It's the it's... Safe Off Marshmallow Man. <laughs> yeah. 
Same character, just much more successful. Yes. So Dr. Boyer takes our Karen takes off on horseback. Fitzhugh finds Millbarge at the marionette show and then complains about getting the cold shoulder from Boyer. Really? <laughs> Come on. Uh, Millbarge then explains uh, that she isn't a doctor either. He then explains that the metal case that she had in her hand was a satellite scrambler terminal. Because, you know, you can tell those sort of things from just from the case. Yeah, of course. Sure, sure. Sure. (laughs) This is where we get the uh, movie title shoehorned into the dialogue. My least favorite thing about any movie when Chevy says, so there are spies like us. I almost they should have looked at the camera when they said that. (laughs) Right. And then you should have heard in the background spies like us. I mean, the only thing that would have made that better was somebody with a, you know, a trumpet and a mute going. (laughs) If they would have broke, actually, if they would have broke the fourth wall, it might have been funny again. (laughs) I I agree. (laughs) But but sadly, that choice was not made. So (laughs) Um, Billboard says they're spies, but they're not necessarily on their side. So uh, maybe your dick's not so dumb, he says. It got me through high school, says Chevy. I'm almost at a point where I just want to stop, but I have to keep going, Ben. I have to keep going. We're gonna we're gonna make it through. We're gonna we're getting around to Hyundai. I think we're gonna be fine. Uh, Anyway. The two of them follow Karen from afar on Camelback, which just saying it sounds ridiculous. It at is. Some point, at some point, <laughs> the camel decides that it hasn't having any more with walking. It just decides to sit down, and the two of them realize that they're going to have to walk from there. That part which is, is kind of weird. funny. But it, well, but it, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's weird because they basically just leave the camel there and head into the mountains. But I feel like maybe the camel's probably all right. The camel will probably be okay. Let's. Probably knows a lot more about surviving in the desert than people do. So I think well, and then on top right. of it too, I mean, you see, if you're uh, if you're somebody who lives in that part of the world, and you happen upon a camel, it's a free camel. So exactly, that's a that's an you know you're going to give it some water and take care of it and probably sell it to somebody else and make some money off it. So there you go. It's your camel now. It's your camel now. That's your camel say. now. <laughs> So, I do find uh, I do find it funny when they're getting when they're getting uh, followed when the doctor and and her the quote unquote doctors are being followed by Chevy and an Ackroyd and they're like do you think those guys are following them the the other doctors like nah it's like really there's nobody else out here what else do you think is going on right <laughs> just two so guys weird. on a camels man yeah. they're just they're just you know they're just Bedouins out for a journey right. in the sand. Of course, headed yeah, headed I'm towards sorry. the Dushanbe Road. Also, <laughs> yes, exactly, because it's not a dangerous place in the world. Um, they should just be going the same way. Uh, so, yeah, they 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 leave the camel. They head into the mountains, and just as they approach the Dushanbe Road, we then cut back to the generals and the CIA officers inside the base. And figure out that the base is part of the Star Wars program, which, <laughs> once again, kids, not the uh, stuff you're watching on Disney Plus with the Mandalorian. Yes. But back in the 80s, they actually had this laser based initiative to shoot down nuclear missiles that Ronald Reagan called 
the Star Wars program. Well, well, we'll call it the Star Wars program. We're uh, <laughs> we're gonna put uh, satellites in space with uh, with gigantic laser beams, and uh, we're just gonna shoot them right out of the sky. <laughs> because that'll work. <laughs> because that will work. <laughs> but uh, so the base of the Star Wars program, and in addition, we find out that the real GLG20s will be at the launch site within the next day. And have they established at this point that the whole reason they're going there is to launch the missile so they can test the laser? Or does that come later in the movie? That comes because even I can't later. remember. Even oh later. Oh my God. Even later. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's even but later. <laughs> I have to apologize to our listeners that uh, I'm having trouble recalling so much of the stuff. I watched this movie twice and once just two days ago, and I can't remember anything about it except for what I hated about it, which was most of it. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of when I, I'm terrible at learning foreign languages. And I, when I went back and got my degree, I had to take a foreign language and I hated doing it so much that literally within a month after I finished my last course of that for, of said foreign language, of which I took like two years of it, two or three years of mm -hmm. it, I literally forgot all of it within a month and a half <laughs> because I hated it so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was that was me with learning Hebrew, man. That's it. Done with that stuff. I was done with it. I, I could say shalom, and that's about it. <laughs> I could look at something and say. That's Hebrew. Oh, what does it say? Not a clue. Something in Hebrew. <laughs> Don't know. Something yeah. in Hebrew. Just <laughs> blindly forgetting everything that this movie had in it. Um, it's kind of fun. I'm sort of reliving it going through the notes here. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the boys get on the Dushanbe Road and it's nighttime. And we're, we're getting to cold weather now because they're going through the mountains. Yes. And so they've they've put on furry they're big coats fuzzy and hats and um <laughs> If you see the poster, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, almost immediately, they're approached by the Russian Highway <laughs> Patrol. <laughs> this, ladies and gentlemen, is the Ponch and John of the Soviet Union. Which is so funny. It's like, nobody, why would you even need a highway patrol in this area on the Dushanbe Road of all places? Right. Right. The only buddy that's going down that road is military. So why why would you just are, are we gonna like be handing out speeding tickets for like Russian soldiers who are driving too fast? Right. <laughs> now now just just Dan Aykroyd being a little clever, I think. I don't know, but uh yeah. uh Millbarge makes a run for it, but Fitzhume freezes up and is taken into custody. Inside the police station, the police are barking Russian at him, but Chevy doesn't do Russian. Um, and so he's doing his Chevy thing, trying to talk his way out of it. And then we see the KGB guys from earlier uh, in the movie who come into him and start talking in English. Yeah. Um, and then we cut back to Millbarge, who's still out hiking in the snow, cursing Fritzium for not running. And then we cut back to police station where the KGB guys are grilling Fitzhume. And we get more Chevy Chase-isms as we go through there. Yeah. Um, and, and this, he would have thought he would have actually had an opportunity to shine here because he's so much better being funny when he's by himself. But yeah, no, no, no not really. 
<laughs> so sadly, most of them are not hitting the funny. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so we cut back to uh, now Boyer and the other doctor who are about to start hiking on foot. When Soviet soldiers approach, uh, the gunfight breaks out between them and the doctor gets killed. And nearby, uh, Bill Barge, who hears the gunfire and starts heading towards it, because that makes perfect sense, uh, only loses balance. And then when he rolls down the hill in excessive fashion, Princess in a very, Bride style. Yeah, Princess Bride was the first thing that came to mind when I saw that. <laughs> uh, he finally hits the bottom, landing on top of the dead Russian soldiers. Uh, and when he gets up, he's greeted at gunpoint by Karen. At this point, he explains who he is, and she says who she is, which is, in fact, the actual GLG-20 agent. And right. the dead doctor was her partner. At this point, uh, she also lets it slip that Millbarge and Fitzhugh were meant to be decoys when she realizes that they're also the agents. Yeah, she's like, oh, you're um, the other GLG-20s, the decoys. <laughs> right. Like, she's all, like, happy nope. about it, like, that she identified <laughs> it, like, thanks, bitch. <laughs> exactly. So, Millbarge gets all butthurt, um, but Karen wants him to help her complete the mission. And Wilsbarge says, I'm only focused on saving Mitzhume at the moment because that's his partner and he's not going to leave him there to die. Right. So that thankfully gets us through Act 2 and moves us gratefully into (laughs) Act (laughs) 3. So we, from here, we get Milbarge flying down the road on horseback towards the uh, highway patrol, the Russian highway patrol (laughs) (laughs) office. where Fitzhume is being escorted by the KGB. Milbarge lets loose with an Uzi in each hand and the Russians scatter. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Milbarge tries to pull Fitzhume onto his horse and naturally falls off the horse and they're forced into a shootout. And then we get that silly little grenade bit with (laughs) Chevy standing up. That part is kind of funny where he stands up with the grenade and just sort of casually throws it back at, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah tosses it back at them um <laughs> and then they're back on the horse and off into the woods again and you get you get the little uh hi silver away <laughs> <laughs> so, so they they meet back up with boyer and uh they're walking along the road when they hear soul finger by the bar case <laughs> which is <laughs> such a non sequitur but seemingly appropriate for the time <laughs> also great right. song actually i love that song anyway oh, absolutely i think it's funny though that you know the the russians are all gathered around the fire yeah and he pulls out the boombox and he's like soul finger <laughs> soul finger <laughs> so, so so they go investigate only to find uh the missile site where the Russian rocket crew are dancing around said boombox. <laughs> and in addition, we get our first look at Vanessa Angel, AKA Russian rocket crew member, who is still conveniently still getting back into her, her heavy snow gear, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which is so funny. Again, that's it's, it's she's in a onesie and the only thing she's got underneath the onesie is Ron panties. Yeah. Really nice lingerie. So, uh-huh. <laughs> but it is a highlight for me. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. so from there, Boyer is trying to convince the two of them to help her seize control of the rocket. But Millbarge is like, no way. And, uh, you know, he's not willing to kill anyone. And, 
they're basically ready to go home. Uh, but then Boyer launches into this ultra corny patriotic duty. I'm going to do this, blah, 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 blah. You know, ask not what you can do for your country, all that <laughs> type of bullshit. And, <laughs> right. and then also she lets them know that she has a tranquilizer gun and that she they don't have to kill anybody. They're just going to tranquilize them while they get the mission accomplished. So side note, though, when she's giving said corny speech, it's really funny when Karen's like, she says, the past two and a half years preparing for this. I've spent the past two and a half years preparing for this penetration. <laughs> and Chevy Chase just kind of is like, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> like the look from Chevy during that mm-hmm. old moment. <laughs> so, so anyway, so then we're we're back in the secret underground lair. I mean, military base <laughs> <laughs> at WAP, and the guys are at the computers. They're it looks like they're you know they're setting coordinates or something. We don't exactly know just yet. And General Sline then orders the base to go to lockdown and go to level yellow. And that's when we get what is supposed to be the super impressive reveal of these giant lasers that come up from the ground. Lasers. Lasers that (laughs) come up from the ground. Uh, Then we go back to seeing the Russia rocket crew sitting around the campfire next to the giant rocket missile, yucking it up, drinking vodka, like you do, listening to Soulfinger. (laughs) (laughs) When we see Milbarge and Fitzhume's brilliant idea to get close enough to the crew to tranquilize them. (laughs) And they're wearing all this, the lights and the shiny shit and the bulbs and the mirrors hanging down from their hats. And all I can think is where on fucking earth did they get all this shit? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, where did they have all this stuff to like, it, no, there was, <laughs> they did not have all this on them to make this stuff. But anyway, <laughs> sure. Anyway, so the uh the mama russian the, the clearly the cuz that's the only way i can identify her cuz she kind of seems like the mama russian so well yeah she took she clearly was doing that in there kind of the the yeah. one that was in charge of everything and everybody deferred to her right so uh she starts saying that when she was a girl there were beings from the sky that came down and stole an ox Oh, 80s Russian stereotyping. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so anyway, although honestly, a lot of that still happens. But anyway, the, the Russians shoot at their feet and then we get Chevy and Ackroyd faking their death or whatever it is. He's like, do what I do. <laughs> like spins around and falls over and lands on his back with his legs up in the air. And it's kind of sort of funny. I don't know. <laughs> is it though is it yeah i don't know but the russians moving closer out of curiosity of course and that's when they shoot them with the tranquilizers so then we're back at wap and they open the ground deflectors which are these big mirrors that are supposed to channel all this laser power into the main mm-hmm. screen or whatever it is so hokey it's just <laughs> like just this Oh my God. I can't even, I can't even. So anyway, (laughs) so we flip back to Russia 
And now our GLG 20s are getting instructions on how to operate this rocket. The Russian crew, they're all like in a dog pile on this, <laughs> like all knocked out on the side. And they're getting these instructions on how to operate this rocket, which is kind of sort of funny, just because the instructions are kind of written like a manual for a stereo or something. Mm. Um, <laughs> anyway, they, they follow these directions without really knowing what they're setting in motion. And again, we still don't know what's going on. We don't. Up until the point that it actually happens, we don't know what's going on. And it basically allows the uh, the WAP control center or whatever to set coordinates to try and do a live test on a live nuclear missile. So the satellites in space move into position and then they send Ackroyd a numbered sequence which basically tells the rocket to launch using the coordinates from WAP. So the rocket suddenly lifts and launches, and they're basically convinced they just started World War III. And with that, they all partner up and decide to get some before the world ends, which actually a pretty good idea. <laughs> but <laughs> actually, maybe the most realistic part of the whole movie. So <laughs> probably yes. I did think it was kind of funny when when they're all pairing off and the two guys kind of <laughs> mm-hmm. give, give each other looks. <laughs> Very progressive for 1985. So, no doubt. So and then granted, Ackroyd didn't get to go in a tent with his wife, but he did okay <laughs> with the brunette missile technician. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he he did okay. He he did okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, <laughs> the nuke is headed into space and WAP is trying to intercept it with its fancy laser. Um, <laughs> and I do love the quick shot of Mr. Ruby and Mr. Keys eating cookies and drinking coffee <laughs> as this incredibly serious shit is going down. They're just uh-huh. all with this delicate cup of coffee and like goofy little dudes <laughs> like eating their cookies and drinking coffee or whatever. Yes. But... The giant laser misses the missile and wow, bad special effects. Cause when the laser comes off of that screen in the drive-in theater, I'm just, Oh my God. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just, wow. I mean, I know it's 1985, but like, come on. When you think about it, it's really the only special effect per se in the movie. Right. So maybe there wasn't much budget left for it. Who yeah. knows? Well, you know, probably all went towards uh, just paying for Chevy Chase. So probably. (laughs) So suddenly they're all, you know, they're all freaking out that the laser missed the missile and it ends up hitting the MTV satellite. And we get the very typical make fun of the teenager Mm -hmm. joke where they're like, whoa, cool or whatever. They show the kids in the in the bedroom watching MTV. And (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) so anyway (laughs) ruby and keys are insisting they contact the president to let him know this wasn't an attack by russia except for slime who kind of seems like he was hoping this would all happen like he was kind of hoping that this was like going to be the instigating factor that starts world war three so he can even gives that speech that sort of plays to that where he's Mm -hmm. You know, he said, what's the point of building up this arsenal if we're never going to use it type of type of thing. Right. So, but yeah, Ruby and Keys are super freaking out. 
And the other general is like, relax, we can wait it out here for the next 17 months. Like, that's a great option. Like, that's like, oh, what an upside. So, so, so then All we, the Pepsi you can drink. That's right, with BB King. So then we cut back to a post coitus acroid with the scorchingly attractive brunette when he realizes in his euphoria that he can redirect the rocket with pieces parts from the sat scram terminal. So in a goofy, everyone in their jammies moment, the Russians work with the GLG twenties to Jerry rig all this together. And uh, I will say Chevy is to, at least to me, the funniest part of this moment though, between the, bring it here and he starts bringing the rock to him and he's like not the rock (laughs) and then just him trying to hold together the raw wires and he's shaking this is this is (laughs) that whole thing so within moments they've redirected the rocket and sent it into space and explode and you know to explode and they've saved the day and then chevy's like can I borrow your tent? <laughs> so. <laughs> so then we cut back to WAP where Sline looks super bummed. He didn't get to blow up all kinds of shit. Uh, and then that's when the real military breaks into the base and arrests everybody. So, ta-da. <laughs> so then we get the epilogue, which might be another moment that's actually kind of a little bit better put together, I guess. Um, sure. Where it's this TV broadcast where we see Edwin Newman reporting on disarmament talks in Geneva between the USA and Russia. And then Fitzhume comes out of the room and he's surrounded by the press and Newman identifies him as the chief delegate in these talks. <laughs> and Fitzhume's basically just sort of gives him Gives him some garbage talk. He just says it's a sensitive mm-hmm. juncture. <laughs> it's the quarterback speech, but for politicians. Yeah, we're gonna we're diplomats. gonna give it a, we're gonna give it one hundred and ten percent. That whole thing. So, <laughs> but then we cut to the room, and they're basically just drinking vodka and negotiating by playing around a trivial pursuit. And the end. Cindy. <laughs> That's the <Yay>! end. <laughs> That's the end of this movie. Oh my god. Thank goodness. Yeah. Whew. So, what to say about this one? Uh since this comedy is it's hard to measure it on the same scale, although that being said, it's not a very funny movie. Um No. <laughs> it's definitely one of those ones where uh it wasn't reviewed well at the time, but I was so young that I just kind of thought it was funny. And now that I'm an adult, it's really more just an eye roll fest. I'm just every every joke i'm just like oh okay okay sure fine uh, fine okay uh, fine okay um you know every once in a while chevy still had that cheviness that was that was occasionally yeah. brilliant you know like i think about that moment when he's in the tent and he's going to sit down next to karen and he clunks up against like all the shit that was hanging on like the canteens and all the metal yeah. th- pots and pans and of course he fumbles all over it and you know that whole clumsy thing that he does like right. little, little moments like that still work. But the other part of this is I've seen good spy comedies and sadly, this is definitely not one of them. Like the, no, my favorite spy comedies tend to lean into the tropes and that's sort of what sells the humor. Whereas this is clearly just SNL skits 
that are tied together <laughs> very loosely by a loose spy plot, sort of, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So, and and even the skits themselves are sort of half baked. So, chances yeah, are, I, I will I probably never revisit this movie again. <laughs> well, I I most certainly will not. And I, <laughs> you know, I I said it through throughout the podcast. I mean. To see what Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd were capable of doing in other movies, even movies directed by John Landis. I mean, Chevy Chase and the Three Amigos. Yeah, that was a great right? movie. Yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, Aykroyd in, in Trading Places. I, I think it was just the two of them mm-hmm. just didn't work well together. I would almost argue that Chevy Chase doesn't work well with anybody. Like even, yeah. even, even, even with the three amigos thing, you also have in that movie, Steve Martin and Martin short. Right. And those two are best friends. Right. And, and they're they gonna, do a lot of the heavy lifting in that movie. Exactly. And so Chevy's just sort of there conveniently to add one other element, but the movie isn't dependent on him for all the funny. Whereas this movie is almost entirely dependent on him for all the funny right it doesn't it doesn't work <laughs> like he's it, only it, funny it, when he's all by himself when he's the star the sole star of the show right it, to his, his funniest scenes in this movie are when it's just him without dan Aykroyd in it yeah just doing him <clears throat> it is what it is it is what we don't it ever is. have to watch it again nobody <laughs> nobody has to watch this again if they don't <laughs> want to that's right yeah so glad that is uh I think I think I'm glad that's in the rear view now. <laughs> but um yeah. yeah. But join us next time on Central Intelligence Cinema because we're gonna swing that pendulum way the other way. Way the other way. We're gonna get serious. We're gonna go and see some James Bond. And we're gonna do a review of Goldfinger because Woo-hoo! because it's the right goddamn thing to do. Amen, brother. Indeed. And with that, I'm Ben. I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mayhem.